Um, one of the people, I've had a lot of people who have shaped me as well. I think probably we all have had many people, um, at least a few that stick out. Uh, there's people like my wife and my kids also, or uh, my parents. Um, but there's a person who I've never actually met really. I've been in the same room as them. Uh, maybe you've had this experience. And I've actually read lots of things they've written. But it's someone I'd say who probably had some of the most influence on me and shaped me. I would say uh, like professionally in the sense of as a pastor, but even way more just as a person. And uh, uh, it's a person who, who really hit me uh, I had a moment with him a few uh, years ago, uh, and it was at a conference. It was at a, it was at a uh, Gospel Coalition conference, and Tim Keller stood up, and I knew who he was because I had read some of his books and, and been really encouraged by him, and uh, this is his, my favorite Tim Keller. He does the, this thing with his hands a lot, and uh, I remember being in the room, and there was something about being in the room and him teaching, and he had said something there that I think I had even read before that. But he said it in the room, and it was a moment where, uh, if you've had this, where it feels like someone's speaking like to you, almost like, like the room goes quiet and like a spotlight goes on you, and it's like he knew I was there. Uh, I remember him saying something, and the rest of that conference, I actually skipped the next few like, sessions, and I found this little lounge in the conference center. We're in Indianapolis, and I just sat, and I just like, thought about the thing he said. And I like, read scripture. I remember just going like that. It's something I knew, but for some reason, that moment, God really used that. Actually, Tim Keller passed away this week, just a few days ago, uh, the battle with cancer, and uh, it kind of reignited some of that love. I felt really sad about that when I heard the news. I thought, this is a person who has kind of been a pastor to me, even though we haven't ever like sat down and talked, but really has cared for my soul. And maybe yours too. Tim Keller is someone that we we quote sometimes, but a person who has shaped me. One of the reasons, because he's written a lot of books, um, some that we've even walked through here at Hope together. Uh, one of the jokes about his books, I, someone just read one of his recent books and um, I said, what was it? And they're like, well, it's like all Tim Keller books. And I said, oh, is that good? And they're like, yeah, it's so good. Uh, and, and I think the reason is uh, because of what he said uh, at that conference. I, I mean, I've, I've really grown to love this person. In fact, if, you don't, if you're unaware of this, um, one of the ways, one of my, I'll say hobbies, I'll use quotes in the hobbies, is that I, I love designing t-shirts. And so I don't really do anything with them usually, but recently I designed a series of t-shirts about some of the people who have shaped me, old theologians and pastors, and I actually made a Tim Keller one. This is an actual t-shirt I designed. Uh, I, he's kind of my magnum PI. It was kind of a magnum PI. Uh, and through a series of some people who actually know him, this t-shirt got sent to him. Uh, I actually put this on, I have a little website where you get, so I can buy the shirts and friends can buy them, and it actually got taken off. Uh, I got like a notification that I illegally used his picture, uh, which is wild. I feel like that's as close as I got to him. Was a legal <laughs> cease and desist from Tim Keller. I think this is a stellar shirt. Wouldn't you be proud to wear this Tim Keller shirt? Um, but that day, back to this moment in Indianapolis, I'm sitting there. Uh, Mr. Keller is talking. And he's, he, he says something that is um, actually in lots of the things he writes. I think it's the reason why I love reading him because in the end he talks about a topic, whether it's suffering or marriage, uh, uh, being a friend, <laughs> dealing with my own sin. And in the end, he always goes back to the same thing. It's a thing that we've said here. And I, it's a thing that day that like struck me, like shook me. And it's what our passage today in Romans is really getting at too. And Tim said this, the gospel is this, 
The good news is this, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. So this is, this is the gospel. When you boil it down is that, that there's a seriousness to our sin and we don't even understand how broken and sinful we are, how much we have been opposed to God and turned from him. And at the same time, we don't understand how deeply loved we are. And in the end, I think uh, our actions, our motives, the reason we get up in the morning and sleep at night, the reason we interact with people the way we do and work the way we do, all comes down to us believing this or not believing this. And that's our hope today is we're in this series in Romans. We're in the first part of Romans, just chapters one through three. We'll pick it back up in the fall. Um, But as we end chapter three here, I think this is Paul who wrote, this is Hope, as he wrote this letter to a church in Rome as they sat down together and read this letter and heard these words from Paul, Paul wants them to know this really good news that uh, you are broken more than you realize and you are deeply, deeply loved through Christ and what he's done. And so that's our hope today is to kind of be reminded of that and even consider how that affects us. So we've been in this kind of end of Romans 3, kind of a mini series within it, just looking at this one passage uh, that Luther says is the center of not only... uh, Romans, but the Bible and really all of life is this moment in Romans 3. So I'm going to read this to us. Um, and then we're going to look for us just at the end of this, uh, which is our passage for today quickly, and then consider what, the, what God has for us. Here we go. This is Romans 3, 21 through 26. Um, this is right after Paul has informed us, expressed to us how broken we are. Whether you're Gentile, you're not a Jewish person and you've run from God and participated in all these things that you thought might bring you hope, all this creation and not the creator, or whether you're a Jewish person who thinks your identity or you're following the rules has brought you close to God, has made you right. He says, none of those do, those are all sin. (coughs) And he says, there's something else though that does bring us, uh, does make us right. And this is where he uh, unpacks that. So here's Romans 3. 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it and the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There he is. He's he's expressing that truth that we just heard from Keller and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be revealed by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. So we looked at the first parts of this already, a quick quick recap. We're gonna look at just this end part today, but the first parts of this, we're reminded that the law points to us, it accuses us. The law has this great gift to us to say, it reminds us, these, these rules that we can't live up to them. We can't do it. And so it accuses, says, you can't do it and you're guilty of not doing it. Not that it's saying you should follow all these things and then God will love you. Then he will give you mercy, but saying it's, a, it's accusing us as if we're in court and it's saying you're guilty, which then reminds us that God actually himself comes and st- stands in the way for us and takes that death penalty that we have and changes from a, accusing us to now saying he loves us. And then as we get in the next section, last week we looked at this idea of redemption, this picture of being rescued out of slavery. 
this amazing picture that we see in the story of the Exodus as we look at the word redemption, as we look at this, this story of Jesus being put on display, this language of looking at Jesus that we see all over the New Testament, all over scripture, to looking at him to be healed, just like they looked at the snake to be healed, that Jesus' blood was shed like the blood and the sacrifice was shed on the mercy seat that, that atoned for their sins, that made right, and that Jesus himself sits down um, with his disciples and says, I, my blood will be shed and it will be the better blood and, and will forgive all people's sins. And so we looked at those four words last week, redemption and put forth propitiation and that we live by faith in Christ. And so all those things lead us up to this moment now as we get to this last part of this passage, reminding us that, okay, we are broken, and, but God has done something to make us right. And so we look at this passage. This was to show God's righteousness. Jesus' death, his blood being shed, his willingness to come and move into our lives, even as we are guilty of sin and deserved death, for him taking that death penalty from us and him rescuing us from slavery of sin and death, those things are to show off his righteousness. So we'll stop here quick. That word righteousness, make, making right, it actually could mean a few things. Uh, and so here's a few things we see, especially in the book of Romans. We see these are kind of the ways when you say the righteousness of God, these are ways we see this play out. And I think as we look in the passage today, we'll see these. The righteousness of God is the justice of God. Saying he can't just let things go. He says, there is something wrong going on and I wanna make those things right even if that is my people who are doing wrong and they deserve the consequences for that. The faithfulness of God, a God who doesn't leave, a God who continues with his people, a God who even as his people turn from him, he still holds to the covenant he made with them long ago and, and uh, pursues them. The faithfulness of our God. Uh, the righteousness of God can also mean being made right with God. This is, a phrase, this is the way we often talk about it. It's a way uh, when we say the righteousness of God in this passage is saying like, this just showed how God made us again right with him. I'll do a killer with his hands. Made us right and brought us back together. Also could mean God's act of putting people in the right. Not just right with God, but making us right again. Last week we talked a little about this as Jesus' blood was shed, as he, a sacrifice was made. Not only that was paid, our debt was paid, but also now God looks differently at us as we're in Christ and no longer sees sinners that deserve wrath, but family. And so as we start this, this righteousness of God, all those things are, are portrayed in this moment as Christ dies for us, rises for us. This act, this sacrifice shows off God's righteousness. And then we move on because in his divine forbearance, it's a word maybe we don't uh, often use uh, in everyday language, his forbearance, he had passed over former sins. So what does this mean? This is God um, is demonstrating his righteousness. In the NIV, we're using the ESV translation here. In the NIV, it says he demonstrates his righteousness because in his forbearance or deliberate restraint, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished until now. And so this is God, uh, this is really important to say. This might be a moment where a Jewish person hearing this letter would say, well, what about all the sacrifices in the Old Testament? What, what about all the moments of like sin, like King David sin? Our, our great leaders even were sinners, let alone people who did terrible things. There was so much sin. Weren't we doing things that made God happy and took those away? And Paul here is reminding us, no, those were things that, that God just forbeared, right? He just said, I'm gonna hold off 
on the punishment from those because there will be someone one day who will take the punishment for those. I think there's just a lot of grace even in that. We're gonna look at this in a moment, but R.C. Sproul says this. He says, God's forbearance refers to his long suffering, not his indulgence. Sometimes we wonder why God doesn't punish sin immediately. God is not winking at our sins. I love that. Just thinking he's like, eh, it's not a big deal. But he is forbearing so that we may avail ourselves of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. God is saying, I'm gonna hold off at just in this moment, you deserve death. I'm gonna hold off because I want you to turn to Jesus. And so Paul is saying here, all those sins from all those years, all were being held back. All that wrath that was deserved for those sins was being held back. And how does that work? So here's our little diagram. Here's the history of all the history. <laughs> Real quick on the screen here. We got the garden here. I always picture palm trees. I don't know, right? <laughs> I think the original word in Hebrew meant palm tree. So <laughs> I don't know that. Uh, so we got the garden here where God creates people and everything's good. And he says, I, I'm with you. And they're with God and, it's, and they're taking care of a garden. And then they decide to turn away from God. Maybe we don't need God. Satan deceives them and they say, maybe we don't need it. Maybe God's lying to us. Maybe he's not who he says he is. And then we have all this history, right? That goes all the way, if you look all the way to the end. Again, one day though, Jesus will return as King Jesus and will make all things right again. So we have this creation in the beginning of this garden and this creation of this wonderful city for God's people that will happen. We're not there yet. We're somewhere like, over there. And this is where we kind of, we divide this up in our Bibles. We see Old and New Testament here. And then right, right here in the middle, we see the cross, this moment that's the, the climax, the, the, the moment everyone's been waiting for throughout all this Old Testament. And what Paul is telling us here in Romans is that all those sins that added up, that stacked up, all those sins that continue to be collected, all the wrath that was due, right? All this penalty that was due because of turning from God was all taken and it was all brought on that moment on that cross on our Savior. In the same way, because God works kind of outside of time, it works this for us too. Today you will go home and you will sin. Right? You will, the way you'll think about something or talk about something, you'll turn to creation over creator. You'll turn to something else for your hope and that will be sent to that cross, to that Savior in the same way way. So Paul's reminding us, hey, all of those things, all of that debt was put on our Savior. You see how incredible the sacrifice was, how amazing this God is that took on all of that. As soon as we get towards the end here of our passage, it was to show his righteousness at the present time. He's showing off his goodness and holiness, his rightness, his justice, that moment. And so what, do we, what can we call God? This is so important. So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. So if I have my faith in Jesus and what happened on that cross on that day and what has continued to happen and who our God is, then God in that moment becomes the just one and the justifier. This is where I want us just to sit today for a little while. Is this what does it look like to believe God is the one who is just and justifies people? Well, let's look at these two words. Maybe some other words that might help flesh out what those look like. It's saying that God is one who is holy. He's just, he's, he brings justice. So when something 
wrong is happening, he makes that right. When, when someone has sinned and has a penalty for that sin, he, he, he brings that. He doesn't go, that's ah, okay, we're friends, it's okay. He's holy and right, he can't let that go. And so he's, he's just, he's righteous. He's serious about sin. Maybe that's easy for you to believe. Maybe that one's harder for you to believe. And at the same time, we have a God who the gospel tells us who this act in this moment, just even the moment of Christ being crucified, his sacrifice, tells us we have a justifier. I love this language Paul uses, these two words, just and justifier, right? And that means our God is gracious because he found a way so that we would not have to perish but could have life with him. He loves us so dearly that he wants to find a way that he can forgive us, that someone's got to pay for those sins. And, how, and he, it's the greatest twist ever, right? He says, what if my son steps in and bears the weight of all those sins of all those years and all these sins that are coming still for my people so that I could again have this relationship and be right with these people, this great mercy and it tells us that God not only is serious about sin, but he's very serious about his love for his people. Sproul continues to talk about this passage. He says, where do we find in scripture the fullest expression of the love of God? In the cross. Where do we find the most awful manifestation of the wrath of God? It's also on the cross, where he pours out wrath upon his own son. That same act shows that God judges sin and yet is a loving and merciful God. You see this, this moment in history when Christ is, is executed on a cross is the moment all the weight of sin, all the pain of that death, come on, Christ. He, he holds that on that cross. And in the same moment, this screams to us, we have a God who loves us so much that he would send his son to die on a cross, knowing that he would raise him from the dead and he would defeat death. It's incredible. Look, look at what happens this moment. This picture, this moment that's described in the book of Matthew, I think shows us this just and justifier, all that's happening in this incredible moment and in the gospel here. This is from Matthew 27. This is this moment as Christ's life ends on a cross. God himself comes to earth and then puts himself in our place. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. Do you feel the, do you feel the waves of sin? It's giving us this incredible picture of what all of that sin, all that wrath coming, even visually darkness is coming over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you feel the, the weight of this sin? You see all of the wrath coming on him that it was ours? We skip ahead a little bit. And when Jesus had cried again aloud, uh, out loud in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. You could feel all the, the weight gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. It means the curtain that last week we read about this place that they had to go in to give sacrifices, that the presence of God was, this really holy place, only this special priest could go there. That curtain tears. So now there's not anything dividing God's people from God's presence there. It's this 
again, amazing, amazing picture. Not only do we have darkness and death and Jesus' spirit being given up, but in the same moment, we have this act of a great justifier in love as the curtain tears and he says, I'm gonna whoosh out into the world. I'm gonna fly out into the world. I, there's nothing now that's separating me from you. There's no more priests coming into sacrifice. This isn't a thing anymore. I am now gonna run. My presence is now flying out into the world. As darkness comes, this great moment of mercy and grace Come. The earth shook and the rocks split. It's like the weight of wrath is shaking the earth. The earth itself is feeling it so much that it can't hold, hold all of this, that it's shaking and breaking from all this wrath, from all this darkness, from all this sin. And in the same moment, God's spirit is rushing in to see his people. And in a way that even people are raising from the dead as the earth breaks, as wrath and, and sin break the earth, we see grace and mercy in the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. See, the same moment we see lit, literally a storm and an earth breaking, we see the darkness, we see as if the earth breaks and we see this great life come out of it. This is one of my favorite moments in scripture. I, I love this moment because I picture all these people who were dead and now they have been resurrected in, in towns. I mean, there's like the guy, hey, did you guys see Jeff? I thought Jeff died. I don't know. He's alive now. I saw him today. I swear I did. I mean, how incredible that life came. People were resurrected in the moment Jesus was resurrected. On such a terrible, terrible moment, we see such life come out of a just and justifier God making all this happy, all this happen. It is happy. When the centurion, those with him were guarding Jesus, he saw the earthquake and they all, uh, and all that had happened and they were terrified and ex exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Surely he is the son of God. The God who come, who's the just one, who, who brings the right punishment for sin, but brings it on Christ. We hear in 2 Corinthians, for our sake he made himself to be sin, who, know, who knew no sin, so in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'd be happy just being like not in trouble. And he says, I'm gonna bring Christ who does not have sin, the holy one, the, the perfect one, and he's going to actually step in your place. The only one who could do it. And he's going to bear all of that, all of that justice on himself so that you could be justified. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what we say over and over, right? This is the good news, this very real truth. That our God is just and he is a justifier. I think this is the daily thing. When I wake up each day, we talk about each day, there's mercies each day for us. I think sometimes um, this is the part that I, that I miss. This is the part when I sat in that room and, and Dr. Keller was, was preaching that like washed over me in a moment and it, like all these things came to mind and I was feeling all these things. And for a couple hours, I sat in a lobby in a conference center and had to process because I was, realized how I would shift back and forth between these things, believing God was one of these and not the other, really depending on the situation or what I needed in that situation. 
and how different it is if I can sit in both of these things each day. So sometimes I'm in a place where it's one of these, right? Or he's just, or he's a justifier. This is often how even like in world religions, usually one of these is kind of the way they lean towards what a God or gods look like. We have the God who's both of these, the true God. Sometimes we look though, just as God as just. So a God who is holy, it's true, he's just, he's right. He's serious about sin. And so my view of him then is he's a God who is watching me, making sure I don't mess up, making sure I follow the rules. And so then I wanna become a person who follows the rules, who if I want a relationship with God, then I have to make sure I do all the right things so that God will wanna hang out with me. Like a father who only wants to hang out with his son if his son's doing the right stuff. And so this is also changes how I view people around me. So I think, oh, they're not following the rules. They're not doing what God wants. And then I start believing that I'm better than them because if I think God is just, just, then I start thinking, well, then I can kind of create categories for like, well, I'm really good and they're doing all these things that aren't so good. I just had this happen this week. This week I got to hang out in Gary, Indiana, uh, which just thought it'd be fun to hang for a while in, in Gary. Uh, I'm in a cohort with a group of church planners and we're from all over the Midwest. So that was kind of a central spot. And we hung out in Gary. If you've ever been to Gary, it's, um, it's a city that a, lo- a long time ago, a lot of factories closed down. And I met a guy there who said he grew up on a street where only one other family lived on the street. The rest of the houses were vacant his whole life growing up. It gives you a little picture. Lots of houses that are vacant, and grass growing tall and overgrown, houses that are burned down, buildings that are burned down are just sitting there. Factories just empty, vacant for years. Almost, it almost had like a, post-apocalyptic feel. And we're driving into town. I'm in a, I'm in a car full of pastors and we're driving into town. Um, and there were some people doing some things that weren't legal and just on the side of the road. And I was like, oh, they're, they're doing, they're smoking things that I don't think are legal to just do. And I went, oh, these people in Gary. It's like crazy I said that, those words. Like I, I, from my car, I looked down on these people and another guy in the car, before I could even finish my words, he said, yeah, I'm so thankful God loves him so much. And then I felt like super convicted. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant to say. That's what I was trying to say. It's like all these people and how much God loves them so much. Just, I just had this moment. I thought in a second I went, oh, I follow, I follow the rules so much better than these people. I don't know anything about this person. I'm driving by them for four seconds. And in that moment I thought, oh, I could tell. I'm way better than them. And in the way I, even just the tone of my voice, I, I say, oh, these people in Gary. And thankfully I have a person sitting next to me who uh, says, yeah, don't forget God's also a justifier. Don't also forget he's a justifier, that he loves these people. Do that. Yeah, God is serious about that sin that's happening. He's also serious about the sin that's happening in you. And he's also found a way to rescue us. And so he also loves them deeply and wants to change them so that they would be people who live the way he's called them to live. And so sometimes we think of God just as a justifier, as one who loves his people dearly, shows great mercy and forgiveness, which is so true. Maybe depending on how you grew up or if you grew up around church, you might've heard this less or maybe you heard this a lot more. In my personal experience in church, I heard this mostly and not 
God as a just God. So God wasn't really serious about it. And I remember asking in a, in a class, like a Sunday school class as a little kid, we went sometimes to church. And I remember asking if God cared uh, what I did to my brother. Uh, it might've been because on the car ride in, <clears throat> you know, I was disciplining my brother. <laughs> We're doing the old like punch him in the arm until he like loses his mind uh, trick. Maybe that was just in my family, but my little brother, I was like, how many times can I hit you in the arm until you just flip out? Um, and then he'd hit me and then I'd tell on him. And I'd be like, he's so bad, he hit me. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. Um, and I remember my mom talking to me about it and we get into Sunday school and I say, is it, uh, does God care if I like hit my brother? Uh, and them saying, you know what? All God cares about is that he loves you a lot. I thought, oh, okay. And, and for a kid, I just went, cool. <laughs> like, then though, that part's right. The things that hurt people, I think maybe God isn't, as a, bit, isn't a big deal for him. And I don't know if they really, I mean, we were kids, so they weren't gonna be like, well, God's actually just and a justifier. They didn't take me to Romans 3, but I, and maybe they did believe sin was serious, but I remember it because it shaped me thinking about if God cared about sin. I think also just my own kind of heart and personality. I was one that tended to believe that God loved people deeply, but it was hard to believe God took sin that serious. I was like, it's really not a big deal. I don't want to confront you about this. I don't want God to confront me about this. Sin's not a big deal. I would guess all of us have one of these that maybe we lean to a little more naturally. I really want to emphasize the love of God. I really want to emphasize the seriousness of sin. I might be someone who thinks I follow the rules and that's why God loves me so much. Or I might be someone who loves people really well and that's why God loves me so much. I feel very loved by God and cared for by God. And I also am scared of who God is. These also have kind of a dark side. You feel this weight of like, I can't live up to this. And I don't think God can love me because I can't live up to this. Or I see people sinning and hurting and maybe you've been hurt by sin and you say, God, how can God be loving if he allows these things to happen? Martin Luther had this exact crisis. It might be why he calls this part of scripture the center of scripture. He said, I greatly longed to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans and nothing stood in the way but that one expression, the justice of God, this righteousness of God. Because I took it to mean that justice, whereby God is just and deals justly in punishing the unjust. Unjust. My situation was that although an impeccable monk, he was a really good monk, follow all the rules. I stood before God as a sinner troubled in conscience and I had no confidence that my merit would assuage him. I was a really good monk. I think God still had a problem with all this sin. Therefore, I did not love a just and angry God, but rather hated and murmured against him. Yet I clung to the dear Paul uh, and had a great yearning to know what he meant. It changed Martin Luther. This misunderstanding continued until enlightened by the Holy Spirit, I finally examined more carefully the word of Habakkuk. It's this Old Testament book where he hears this phrase, the just shall live by his, by his faith. To be made right with God is to put faith in something, not yourself. From this passage, I concluded that life must be derived from faith. Then the entire Holy Scripture became clear to me and heaven itself was open to me. Now we see this brilliant light very clearly and we are privileged to enjoy it abundantly. 
He's saying, I realize that God is just, but he's also a justifier. That it wasn't me following the rules that got God to love me and care for me. It was because uh, of who Christ is. And so my job was to put faith in Christ, not follow a bunch of rules so then God would love me. But instead, God loves me deeply and that would change me now not, to not want to sin. It would make me love God in such a way that I would want to turn and say, God, how should I live my life? And so this uh, phrase from Mr. Keller, I'm going to skip a few of these here. This phrase from Mr. Keller years ago for me is one I still daily have to remember. So that each day I remember God is just and a justifier. And that is the gospel that changes us. So that when I'm feeling like I can't live up to this God, I can't, I'm not doing okay. He says, yeah, remember I'm a justifier. I love you deeply. I don't love you because you did something. And when I'm having a day where I'm turning from him and I'm feeling convicted because I'm doing something that he has not called me to do, he says, hey, I take, that's serious. That's not the way I created you. Remember, I love you enough to send Jesus to die for that sin. And, and so those together, those wrapped together, changed my heart. And so when, when Tim Keller says we're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, see, okay, every day I gotta wake up and remember, Drew, you're a sinner and you're broken. Don't expect yourself to be perfect today, but also be aware that you're gonna be broken. You're gonna wanna turn to things that aren't God. And yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Drew, you're loved. You don't seek approval from every person today. You don't need to make them all happy. God loves you and cares for you. He sent Jesus. And so we know that God is just, that we are more sinful. And we know that God is a justifier. And we're more loved than we could ever imagine. We're gonna actually sing these words here in just a moment. Welcome our worship team up to this good truth. This is the truth. Every day we wake up and we could say, God, you are just, you are a justifier. I am a sinner and I am so loved by you and cared for by you in that. And we get to turn from our sins. I'm going to welcome our worship team up now if they want to come up. We're going to sing this song in a moment um, or a, a few songs. And this is one of the phrases in the song. This week I was praying and um, reminds us of this good truth. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow, blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow. Because of the gospel, I have strength for today. In every situation I walk into, the fact that God is a just and a justifier, that I am deeply a sinner and also deeply loved in the same moment will inform every decision in every moment of my day strength for today. And I have a hope that one day this will all be done. That there's going to be a castle with a little crown on it, that Jesus will come back and make things right. And I will get to be with him. That's our hope today. That's what we're going to sing about here now in a moment. A couple of things to consider as we uh, prepare ourselves to respond. Here at Hope, we like to respond to the gospel, to this good news each week. We do that by singing, by taking communion, by praying and giving. Here's a few things to consider as we uh, reflect on this. Do you know Jesus? Maybe today's the day to say, I, I want to put my faith in that person who has done that work. The one who took our sin and made us right. Maybe consider, is it harder for you to believe God is just or justifier? Is it hard to believe God is holy or merciful? Which one maybe you tend to lean towards? Why is it hard? 
who reminds you to look to Jesus. This is a great thing to share with a friend. It's really hard for me to believe God is just or a justifier and have them help you. Maybe open the scriptures with them and have them help you. And this week even, consider now even praying for who needs to know Jesus became sin so that we could be made right. Who do you know that you could start praying for? Maybe even pray God would bring someone to mind that you could bring that good news to. We also are gonna celebrate communion. So out in the hallways, we have uh, communion on both sides here. Uh, And that's an opportunity for us to remember uh, the shed blood of Jesus that makes us right with God and the broken body of Jesus as he he, uh, took that weight of wrath for us. At Hope, you don't have to be a member of Hope to take communion. Uh, We just ask you're a believer so that you are someone who actually understands and and it means something to you. So we encourage you at some point to go take communion. Uh, Also, there'll be people who are willing to pray for you in the back of the room. Uh, We'd love for you to be able to do that. They love to pray for people. So anything, you can share anything you want. They love to pray for you. You can also give. There's giving a box out on the communion table over here. Uh, You can also give online. Let me pray for us as we enter into a time of response. Father, you're uh, one who is just and a justifier. We know you take sin very seriously. And we know you love us so dearly. Those are really hard sometimes to believe both those things, even one of those things. I pray you would do that in our hearts. You'd give us faith in your son, Christ, that he came to a cross, that he took on the weight, the wrath, the weight of our sin, that he died and then he rose from the dead. And that we too now have had our penalty paid and that we too will raise from the dead new life like all those resurrected people and that one day your son will return as king of all kings and you'll make all things right. But until that day, Lord, I pray you'd give us strength, you'd give us sight, you'd help us to look up to you and Lord, you'd use us to help others know this good news. It changes everything. I pray this in your good name. Amen.